This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. Praise the Lord. Well, we've been uh, going over some of the uh, disciplines within Christianity over the last several weeks. That, and they're disciplines that, if they're practiced, will give you strong and firm foundations. How many like or want or desire a strong and firm foundation? Okay, there's several of you that do. That's great. So, so far, we've covered prayer, the word of the God, and praise and worship. All of these should be more than time slots carved out in a day. Uh, they should be flowing continually from your life as a, in a life of prayer. That was the first one we covered. Number two, a life of the word of God. And living a life that is consistently praising and worshiping our God. Those are three areas. We call them the big three because they make up your quiet time. And I don't know about last week. I was thrilled, you guys, last week at how you responded to what was going on. We had 15 minutes of going after God. And it was, it was awesome. It was awesome. We got so many comments about that. So glad that everybody stayed in there and did it. And that was a little stretching for some of you. And, uh, you know, but if we don't stretch ourselves, we're not going to get strong. And we're not going to go deep, are we? Our striving should be in excelling in these foundational disciplines as we train ourselves for godliness. And of course, our, our theme verse for the series is 1 Timothy 4, 7, 8 through 8. And it says, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So my goal in this series, church, is that you would allow the Holy Spirit to pull you into a deeper relationship with him. The closer we get to the end of this age, the church age, the more difficult it will become to stay strong in your faith. That's just the truth. We must train ourselves in the foundational disciplines now. Now is the time, not later. Now is the time if we're going to continually grow in that relationship with Christ. We gotta train ourselves, we gotta build strong foundations. And this morning we're gonna hit another discipline that's incredibly important. It's the discipline of living a life of holiness. And I'm not gonna lie to you, this was not an easy message for me to prepare. Because in so many ways I can give miscues because of how people understand what holiness is. So I'm gonna do something a little different today. Are you okay with me doing that? I'm probably gonna offend every single person in this room. Are you all right with that? I am going to be a little, um, kind of like playing the devil's advocate sometimes, in a sense. I don't like the sound of that, but for lack of a better phrase, that's what I'm gonna be doing. And I, was, I just want you to understand this whole topic of holiness and how we approach it as believers, because it's very different in, married, every, in, in very different settings or in different settings. To start off with, I'm gonna say, when I was in high school, I was in cross country. That's long distance running. I, I, I know you can already tell that by looking at me, but I was, I was in cross country. And we would train really hard for the first couple of months prior to our first race. Our coach won coach of the year many times in Minnesota. And uh, it was, uh, he was a he was an awesome coach, and he would train us hard, find the biggest hills for us to sprint up and then jog down and then sprint up them again and jog down. And when I say hill, I'm talking half mile long. I mean, he, he just trained us uh, so well, and we did really well as a team. 
And, and we would continually train throughout the fall and even into late November, early December. We would always run our best times towards the end of the season though. And training to reach athletic potential, I just want you to say, it takes time, right? You don't reach it overnight. The more you train, the further you go. And the same is true when we train ourselves in the disciplines of, or discipline of holiness. You can't get holy in a hurry. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't get holy in a hurry. Oh, that was, that was deep. I like that. Say that again, I like that. You can't get holy in a hurry. Wow, love it. You cannot get holy in a hurry. It takes time, it takes effort. And the word of God tells us to live holy over and over and over again. And really the best way to define what the word of God means when it calls us to holiness is to say that we are to be set apart. That's what holiness means, set apart. Set apart from what? Set apart from the world. You're different, set apart. Give you some scriptures, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, and I'm gonna read out of the Amplified version of the Bible on these next few scriptures. And if you're not familiar with the Amplified, what it does is it, it uses some different meanings of words and puts them in the brackets. So the brackets aren't necessarily the word of God. They're added little things, but they bring, they highlight uh, the meaning and they bring actually new uh, revelation sometimes to scriptures you've read many times over. So it's an interesting version of the Bible and it's based off of uh, the New American Standard Version, which is a really solid version of the word. But, but let's, let's look at this in the Amplified. So prepare your minds for action. Be completely sober in spirit, steadfast, self-disciplined, spiritually and morally alert. Fix your hope completely on the grace of God that is coming to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Live as obedient children of God. Do not be conformed to the evil desires which can governed you in your ignorance before you knew the requirements and transforming power of the good news regarding salvation. Verse 15, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, which means be set apart from the world by your godly character and moral courage. Because it is written, you shall be holy, or set apart, there it is again, for I am holy. Go to Romans 12, one and two. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourself, set apart, as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. In verse two, and do not be conformed to the world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Don't you love how the Amplified puts that? I mean, it's calling us, the word of God is calling us to holiness, and I love the brackets on these verses because they keep saying the same thing over. It's set apart. Holiness means set apart. It means you're different than the world. It means you don't look like the world. You're set apart. The next verse, 2 Corinthians 7.1, giving you lots of the Bible this morning. You know, if you, if you don't have anything to say, you might as well read the word, right? I have a lot to say though today too, so. But we're gonna read the word. Therefore, since we have these great and wonderful promises, beloved, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, completing holiness, which is living a consecrated life, a life set apart for God's purpose in the fear of God. What does holiness mean? It means set apart. Does the word of God call us to a lifestyle of being set apart? Absolutely 100%. I just showed you three major scriptures that talk about it. And there's more. I could go on and on and on. But there's three. And though the Bible clearly gives us multiple mandates to strive to live holy, set apart lives, this subject produces a lot of controversy in the church. It's even created whole denominations because of the different ways people approach the subject of holiness. And I want to give you a little bit of this this morning, and, and, and this is the part that may offend, or I'm playing the, the advocate a little bit here of, of, of extremes, so, so uh, indulge me just a little bit. On one hand, you have those who would say that you must follow the rules. You must walk the line, so to speak. These people understand that faith without works is dead. And let me tell you, there are a lot of rules to remember. Take out your pens and write down a few of these if you want to. These are things that I have personally been told by Christians through the years, rules that we need to do, follow as Christians. So I want you to hear what they are. You should not gamble in any way, shape, or form, including lottery and even raffle tickets. You should not drink any alcohol whatsoever. You shouldn't wear immodest clothes. You shouldn't smoke or chew tobacco. You shouldn't gossip. You shouldn't tell coarse jokes or engage in any form of sarcasm. You shouldn't cuss. You shouldn't use illegal substances. You shouldn't dance. You shouldn't go to movie theaters. You shouldn't overeat or be overweight. You shouldn't be alone with a person of the opposite sex unless you are married to them. You shouldn't read Harry Potter. You shouldn't have premarital sex. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't cheat. You shouldn't hate. You shouldn't walk in unforgiveness. You shouldn't allow the internet in your home. You shouldn't let African heathen drums into the church. You shouldn't watch Star Wars. You shouldn't ever miss church unless it's an emergency. You shouldn't drive a new car. You shouldn't believe in Santa. You shouldn't live in a new house. You shouldn't spend money on new shoes. You shouldn't teach people to clap their hands in a worldly way in church. You shouldn't have a Christmas tree. You shouldn't go into debt. You shouldn't watch anything but Christian TV. You shouldn't read newspapers. You shouldn't speed. You shouldn't have Easter eggs. You shouldn't celebrate Halloween. You shouldn't go to a restaurant that sells alcohol. You shouldn't bring guitars into the church. You should never have any instruments in the church sanctuary whatsoever. Heard that one. You shouldn't chew gum or take drinks into the sanctuary. You shouldn't read any Bible except the King James Version. You shouldn't ever be sick without being healed. You shouldn't live in poverty. You shouldn't speak negatively and on and on and on and on. And I'm going, that is a lot of rules to try to figure out. These are things I've heard from church people. And it's just a handful. And I could literally spend all day telling you the rules that we're supposed to follow to live by according to what Christians say. And here's the truth. Much of what I said is, is right on. Much of those things that I just spoke were right on the money. Some is marginally correct, and some is just plain crazy. So can you ever know what all the rules are so that we can live up to them and fall into the category of being holy? You understand the problem? I mean, can we ever really learn and memorize all the rules and can we actually live up to the standards that those rules expect us to live up to? 
And understand, there's those that, that, that are on this kind of side of things, they, there's a self-effort that accompanies them. It, it, it's, it's a camp of theology, if you will. I'll call it the extreme holiness camp. Now, holiness is good. Everybody say, holiness is good. Everybody say, Pastor Barry says, holiness is good. All right, so we got that established, right? But there's an extreme, and I'll just call it, for lack of a better term, extreme holiness. We'll even let it go into, we'll even call it legalism. Where Christianity just becomes rules and things you must do and things you must not do. And there's a lot of rules, and they're different with every person. I wonder what the world thinks when they encounter Christians who are in that camp. I wonder if it's hard for them to accept a gospel message that's so complicated with rules. Just a thought. Sometimes, in our self-effort to be holy, we do become legalistic. And, and, and again, there's this self-effort that accompanies those who land in this particular camp of theology. And, and, and don't get me wrong, it's easy to fall into this camp. See, you experience God and you want to please him with your life, but then you meet others that have experienced God and they either don't share your level of commitment to those rules or, or, or they are so far beyond your level of commitment to them that you feel condemned just to be around them. We become religious really fast in the church because of this. It often starts out with good intentions. We love God so much that we want to please him in all that we do, but we don't understand that how others don't feel the same way about the same things. Eventually, we can start to look down on them and become atheistic, or at least, uh, not atheistic, I'm sorry, that was a bad word. Elitist, that's the word I'm trying to say. Elitist. We become prideful of where we're at. And if we're going to, this is a big pendulum here, and I'm going to swing this over here, and we're going to call this the legalistic side of holiness pendulum. The legalistic side. And the church often camps out on one side or the other, right? Do you understand that? And then after a few years, the next generation comes along and they say, we don't like your rules. And some of them get saved and they're like, you know, we're going to go this side. And the pendulum swings all the way over. Stay with me here. There are also those in the church on this side that understand that there is no way that they will ever be holy enough to reach God's standard. They know that they are saved by grace and not by works that no man can boast. So they simply don't put forth a lot of effort. Jesus came and died so they could be free from the burden of sin. Their sin is forgiven, so it doesn't matter, right? Don't judge me. This is some of the things they might say. Don't judge me. Don't take the speck out of my eye before removing the beam from yours. No one is better than anyone else no matter what they do. Jesus forgives me. I can't do it on my own, so why put forth the effort? I'll fail if I do that. I'm free and saved by grace and grace alone. Grace covers all of my sin, past, present, and future. God loves me, and nothing can change that. I can't be plucked from my Father's hand. Once I'm saved, I'm saved, and that's the end of it. This camp, like Jesus, hates legalism. They despise it because they know that legalism kills. It always becomes dead religion at some point. And when I say religion, I mean man's way of reaching God. So 
we have this conundrum within the church today, and it's a problem that's been argued amongst Christians for centuries. You have those who say holy living, being set apart from the world, is the evidence of your faith in Christ. It's a list of rules. Our holiness proves that God's doing a work in us, what you see us do. And we have a responsibility to separate ourselves from the world and walk in that holiness. And then you have those who say holy living is a work of grace. Jesus' righteousness becomes our righteousness when we accept him and it's all good because our human ability to be righteous or to be, to be righteous is like filthy rags to God. So quit all the self-effort and just rest in the knowledge that you have been saved by grace. Do you see the opposite ends of the spectrum? Do you see the extremes that go on in the church often? Yeah, or are you getting it so far? There's extremes here. And obviously... We have everything in between when it comes to beliefs. Honestly, I believe that most people in this church probably lie somewhere in the middle of these two extremes, but they also lean one way or the other. I lean towards this living holy in my own effort or my list of rules, or I lean this way in, in the fact that I'll never be good enough so God's grace saves it and I don't even have to try. Understand those are extremes. Legalism, that end, hypergrace, this end. And both extremes take you to a place of pride, a place where you believe you are okay, but you're not. So where does the truth lie and how should we understand and approach the biblical mandate to live holy and to literally practice the discipline of living a life of holiness? And I want to give you a word because the word of God is incredibly uh, revealing on this. It's the word balance. You know, the church jumps from one end to the other end. You have probably the older generation who would say, no drinks in the sanctuary. Is there, word, is there a Bible for that? Well, yes, there is. It, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta, it's the presence of God. You gotta be holy. You know, you, you can't bring drinks in there. I, I remember as a kid, I couldn't chew gum in church. Thank God some of you chew gum in church. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Just don't stick it underneath the pew. I wonder if that's how it got started. The janitor spread a rumor that it was wrong to chew gum in church because he got sick of taking the gum out from underneath the pew. And it just exploded from there. Or you have people say, don't tell me what I can wear. That's not what my heart is, really. I mean, who's right and who's wrong? Where's the middle ground? Is that compromising? We're not supposed to compromise. I'm telling you, folks, it's the balance. 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 And I hope you're doing a little self-examination. I wonder what side I'm on. Do I expect people to live up to my standards? Is that... You know, I've literally had people come in here and ask me 10 questions and, and say, if I didn't answer them right as a pastor, they would no longer come here. And I, and I basically just said, well, I'm going to answer them how I answer them, and you can come or go as you please. Because that's just, you know what I mean, I'm talking about? There's people that have these standards, and everybody has to live up to them. And then you have people that have no standards. Because God's grace. Everything is covered by Grace. In fact, I've heard people say on this end of things, good preachers, 
preachers that are famous that you would know if I said their name. Say, so we no longer need 1 John 1, 9 because we don't even have to confess our sins to have them forgiven. His forgiveness and grace is so wonderful, we don't even have to bring it up to him. The sin is gone before we confess it. Is that what your Bible says? It's not what mine says. I don't think we should pick and choose what scriptures are in the Bible. It gets extreme, folks. It gets extreme. Why is it important to practice the discipline of holiness in a balanced approach, in a balanced way? Because it will drive your foundations deep and you'll be strong. And every wind of doctrine that comes by isn't going to blow you off that foundation and knock you over. Balance. The Word of God says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Sounds good. What about James 2.14? What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Some people would call that a contradiction between two scriptures. I call it beautiful balance. It's not a contradiction. We've been saved by grace, amen? Amen. Through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works. We can't boast. But if you don't have works attached to your faith, your faith is dead. It's an interesting thing. Understand, church, that this is not, again, it's not a contradiction. It's balance. God's grace, it's God's grace that allowed you to have the faith that you have as well as hearing the message of the gospel itself. Without that grace, you wouldn't have heard it. It's not by accident that you heard the message of Christ. Yet because it was a personal choice to receive that message, you find yourself doing or performing works when you accepted it. God's grace provided the truth behind the gospel as well as the opportunity for you to hear it. He gets all the credit because of that. Without that grace given, you wouldn't even have had the chance to be saved. But when you choose to act on the grace provided to you, you make a choice to receive it. That's something you did. I'm I'm getting into some semantical things here, but this is a problem in the church. It's a big problem. It separates. You gotta understand, God didn't make puppets to control, right? He created you and I with a free will. You are the one that exercises that free will to receive the gospel and invite Jesus to reign in your heart. Something takes place when you do this. A desire begins to form within you. A desire to please God in everything you do. You begin to read his word and start learning about his standards. And they're so high that truly there's no way to fulfill them. That's why we need the cross and the shed blood of Christ. He's absolutely, he absolutely becomes our righteousness because we are unable to be righteous in and of ourselves. So I I, I wanna just break that down just a little bit, what I said, because it was a little confusing maybe. When you come to Christ, it's because he is so full of grace. He gave you the opportunity. You make a choice to receive him, which could be considered works by some. But then what happens as you fall in love with Jesus, your behavior, your talk, your attitude, your thinking, everything begins to change because you're a new creation. When your behaviors change because they're flowing out of a love relationship with God that you have, that is the process of becoming holy, which is a big word called sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. It's the process by which you become holy, all right? Holiness is achieved 
out of the love relationship that you have with Christ, the intimacy that you have with Christ, the intimacy that we experienced in those 15 minutes last Sunday. He begins to show you things, and then you begin to apply them. He shows you more, and you begin to apply them. Your life begins to change and change and change, and all of a sudden you look back and you're not the same person you used to be. How many have ever experienced that? But the second you write those things down on a list and say, everybody else, if you want to be saved like me, you need to follow these rules. That's when it becomes something more than just holiness flowing or sanctification flowing from a love relationship that you have with Jesus. That's when it starts to creep in to legalistic thinking. The word says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I already said that one. Where am I here? Jesus dealt with the Pharisees who tried to accomplish living out God's standard of righteousness by leaning on their own strength, right? They were religious. They were legalistic for sure. Matthew 23, 25 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. And then I want you to see how Paul dealt with Christians at the church in Corinth who took their freedom in Christ to extreme. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, I mean, these, these guys were crying freedom. We can do whatever we want. We, we're under the blood. We, we can be forgiven for anything we do. We don't have to walk necessarily any certain way because Jesus' grace is so great. Are you with me so far? 1 Corinthians 6.12 says this, and, and Paul's kind of mocking them as he says this, all things are lawful for me. He says, but guys, remember, not all things are profitable. And then he says, all things are lawful for me. He's mocking how they say this, like, I can do anything I want because I'm under grace. He says, but don't forget, you shouldn't want to be mastered by anything. So yes, there's a freedom in Christ, but that doesn't green light us to do the things uh, that are not spiritually profitable to the cause of Christ or give us a pass to be involved with things that create addictions or cause us to become enslaved. And I'm just throwing this out there for you to chew on, but, but doing as, as, as many personality assessments as, on people as I've done and spend literally thousands, I mean really, that many, I think it would be interesting to graph personalities and doctrinal leanings. Because it, it wouldn't be 100% this way probably, but I would guess that certain personalities would lean towards falling into legalism and, and, and in their pursuit of holiness, and others would lean towards falling into hyper-grace. It would be interesting to see how that played out personality-wise. And if you know anything about personalities, you're probably thinking right now, hmm, I wonder if, if the, the people who are self-reliant end up falling towards the legalistic side of things. And the people who are just kind of a easy going, laid back, and whatever, whatever, fall into the other side. It'd be interesting. Not saying anyone's ever done it, not saying I'm gonna do it, it'd just be interesting. And this morning, I'm not really trying to pigeonhole anyone. You're all unique and you all approach this subject probably a little bit differently, be it ever so slightly. My challenge to you is this, as you pursue and practice the discipline of holy, uh, living a holy life, you have to understand the pitfalls of the extremes. 
If your life doesn't change when you get saved, I mean the way you think, again, the way you talk, the way you act, even the way you feel about certain social issues or possibly even your political views, if there isn't substantial change in some or all of these areas of your life, then you need to check the submission level that you have to Christ and his word. The evidence of salvation is a changed life, church. And there are non-negotiables in the word of God, right? There's things that you can't get around. They're not questions of conscience. They're not opinion questions. They're, they're, they're non-negotiables. Christians should never be drunk. It's, it's in the Bible, plain and simple. They should never have sex or engage in those things that are sexual in nature outside of biblical marriage. Amen? It's a non-negotiable. Murder is always wrong, right? Even if it's an unborn baby. Non-negotiable. There is no place for idolatry within the Christian life. These are all non-negotiables, and there's other ones. They're just blatantly laid out in the word of God, clear, very clear, very easy. And then there's those questions of conscience that are different, that are, are handled differently by different people in different circumstances. And sometimes those differences in behavior are due to personal desires to be in higher leadership even. The Bible says it's a good thing to desire to be an overseer or an elder in the church, 1 Timothy 3.1 says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. It's a good thing to desire that. But with higher leadership becomes more scrutiny and the standard becomes higher. Let me give you an example. As pastor of this church, you will never, and I know it's wrong to be drunk. I just said that. It's a non-negotiable. But does the Bible say it's wrong to have a glass of wine? It doesn't say it's wrong but you'll never see me have a glass of wine or a drink of any kind. You never will see it. I'll never buy it. You'll never see me buy it. It won't happen. Why? Because I'm in a place of leadership that I can't afford to do that because somebody may see that and think something differently, and that's the life I've chosen. Understand? You want to go higher leadership, you better be ready to have higher standards. I will never, ever, ever be alone with a person of the opposite sex in a room without a window, without somebody else around, it will never ever happen. I have a standard that I have to keep to. Now that's not good boy, Pastor Barry, pat on the back. I'm just telling you, there's reasons people have higher standards than others. And sometimes it's a cultural thing. But also understand that you can't just decide to live up to a standard in your own ability. As you fall in love with Christ more and more every day, you will love what he loves and you will begin to hate what he hates. Again, it all flows out of the love relationship with him. The second that love relationship begins to wane, that's when we start depending on ourselves to do things or act certain ways and, and we fall into that legalistic side. You won't be able to do things claiming your freedom in Christ because those same things will just make you sick to your stomach. Example, you, you, you go to a movie, one that everyone, everyone's talking about, right? But in the first five minutes, the GDs and the F-bombs are just, are just overwhelming and they cause you to leave the theater. A hyper-grace person might sit through a movie like that and justify it's okay because they didn't say those words or necessarily like them being said. But they paid money and they're going to watch the movie. But they still justified sitting through it. A legalistic person may say you should never go to the theater in the first place. 
and I'm never going to that theater again because of it. But I know legalistic people who look down on any Christian that goes to a theater, yet they rent the movies and watch them in their home. <laughs> so, so, so what's the difference, you know, there? You see, we have to move beyond these extreme thoughts, these extreme camps of, of thinking that play, really, they just placate to our flesh and find this, the spirit of, we have to find the spirit of the law and not just the letter of the law. Jesus said that all of the law, his standard, is fulfilled by the following, following the two greatest commandments. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 40. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord. There's that word love, right? A love relationship is what I've been saying. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. It's powerful. Two, Jesus is so smart, he gives two laws that fulfill it all. And remember, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. So those who land more on the freedom in Christ to do what I want, he didn't abolish the law, he fulfilled it. Remember the scripture we read about cleaning the inside of the cup and not just the outside? Here's the next verse. Matthew 23, 26. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and, and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. He didn't say, well, the inside's clean now, so you're good. Your outside doesn't have to be clean. No, your outside needs to be clean too, but your inside needs to be clean first. He didn't say, well, you didn't have to look any different. No, the outside has to be clean too. And it says just previous to this in Matthew 23, 23, through 24, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You don't neglect those things while you claim freedom in Christ. See, it's a challenge, church. It's a challenge to walk in balance. And I'm jumping back and forth and back and forth. And some of you are going, what are you trying to say? Exactly. It's balance. You have to know both ends and be aware that there's potholes in both sides of this thing. And end up right in the center. The center where Jesus is and where his commandments to live holy lives will just kind of flow from your life. And they won't be self-made and they won't be... Uh, self-produced. Holiness is being set apart. That means you are different than the world. That means you are peculiar. You are not like the rest of the world. You are in it, but you are no longer of it. You are a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of this world any longer. You are, in fact, an alien among those who have not yet tasted that the Lord is good. I want you to understand that you are precious in the Lord's sight. The book of Malachi refers to God as the refiner, the great refiner. And the trials of this life are the refining fire. The impurities are burned away until all that remains is pure gold and precious silver. Holiness, purity, being set apart for a specific God-given purpose. This is a discipline of the faith that must be pursued. 
You should desire to get in the refiner's fire and let him burn out all the dross, burn out all the, the junk so that you can be pure gold before him. And that's why I love that old song. We sing it from time to time still, even though it's old. Burn in me, burn in me. Let the fire of the Holy One burn in me. You know, there's a whole verse there about burning out the dross, bring forth the gold. That's holiness, church. That's purity. That's what we should desire. It doesn't magically happen. It takes time. It's the process of becoming holy, which is sanctification. And don't kid yourself, being holy, truly holy, is when God looks at you and sees his reflection. You can't get there through self-effort, and it doesn't automatically happen on its own because you've accepted Christ. It's neither, and in a sense, it's both. Though it may take a lifetime to get there, let us all run that race. Let us fight the good fight of faith and strive to live a life of true holiness. And I'm standing up here telling you, I've had times in my life, and maybe you're with me on this. How many had times in your life when you swayed this way and you went a little too far? And then you were reminded and you swayed back this you swayed back to truth. And then maybe you had times when you swayed this way. Like, yeah, God forgives me, I can do what I want. And then you got woke up and you maybe came down this way a little bit. And maybe you came back this way all the way again. It's just this back and forth and back and forth, and back, and forth. And God goes, why don't you just land in the middle? Why don't you find the real truth in a balance? Because the devil just has a heyday on either end of that, doesn't he? These people never change, because they don't have to. These people expect everybody to change, so nobody wants to be around them. You understand what I'm saying? A life of holiness. Not easy. Not easy to walk in that balance and, and stay there. But that's why you have to have a life of prayer and reading the word and listening to God and hearing him and let him lead you by his Holy Spirit. You know, the greatest thing that we have as Pentecostals is this, this infilling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, his voice should be loud to us as Pentecostals. Because we're not only, uh, we don't just have the Holy Spirit as Pentecostals. As Pentecostals, the Holy Spirit has us, right? We're, we're, we're baptized into it. We're dipped into the Holy Spirit. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.